Before we get started today, I wanted to ask you, dear listeners, for a little help. The nonprofit org that I run is really struggling to get off the ground, and the only thing holding it back is funding. If making music and continuing education are important to you, please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. Go to tamarackarts.org giving to make a one-time or recurring donation that you can pause or discontinue at any time. Thank you so much. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Lonely Cello. Welcome to the Lonely Cello Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Wright, and I am here with Emily Ann Peterson. You might have heard of the School of Bravery. Uh, You might have seen her books on Amazon. Did I see correctly? Number one Amazon bestseller? Yes. When it came out, it did get to number one. Holy smokes. Very, very proud of my launch team. That was all them. I am. Oh, of course. Of course. Uh, It just would have happened if your book had just been like absolutely just blank. Blank sheets on the inside. I'm sure that you know, but it still really would have been just bottom of the charts had nobody been, had I told nobody about it. So yeah, that's absolutely the truth. Um, but I'm so happy that, um, that you had the time to come on and, uh, yeah. talk shop. And, uh, before we get rolling, tell the folks, um, how do we know each other? You know, what's so funny is I usually, are we allowed to cuss on this show? Fuck. Yes. Okay, great. Uh, usually I, uh, have a lot of shit talk to say about Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And it's the other toxic. day, I know. And the other day, and I'm not on it hardly at all, but the other day I was telling somebody that I was going to do this, this show and telling them about you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I actually know Emily Wright from Twitter. Like when I first started teaching, I was trying to like sponge up as much pedagogy stuff as much as possible and so I was like following all the teachers and doing that kind of thing so that's how we know each other was Twitter from like probably 15 years ago or something like that yeah I think Twitter was like I I don't know how like maybe it was it was powered by like the cotton gin at that time there were like 17 of us on there right it was yeah it was amazing um and so while this podcast is kind of ostensibly music. There's some kind of entry point into there. So I guess just so we have a little bit of context before we launch into the teaching part of it, what is your journey with music? And since most of our listeners are string players, um, kind of what's your, what's your journey with the, with the cello and music in general? Sure, sure. So I'll start off with what I'm doing now, and then we'll go back to the beginning. So right now I am a business coach for trauma survivors uh and that does make sense when you go back uh i i'm a cellist Uh, i started playing cello when i was in fifth grade and i didn't know it at the time but i am from a long line of suzuki teachers Uh, so a lot of my teachers and professors were suzuki trained um and then when i graduated from school with a business degree uh, I, well, I chose not to do music in school, uh, mostly because the professor that I was studying under did not know how to improvise. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a little bit kind of, uh, I just thought that that wasn't cool. And I felt like it was like, um, it just felt like kind of lame that like, uh, you would, someone would say, can you teach me how to do this thing? You're the expert in this thing. And the teacher would go, no, you should go take a lesson from the trumpet professor. Yeah. We, I was just kind of like dumbfounded. We have, an ep- we have an episode a couple, a couple ago, yeah. and it's, it's all about like how a lot of people who are trained on stringed instruments um, cello especially because at least there's like this kind of colloquial fiddle tradition 
where like violin players at least grow up with this kind of in their periphery. Oh, I could also do this kind of thing. And then cellists are like, if the wind were to blow this music off of my stand, I would expire. Right. <laughs> right? Like right. Yes. Yeah, so improvisation. Right. I, I'm actually, I wonder, um, what the actual like visceral response of that instructor was, because I bet that actually felt a little bit like a threat. I I remember his reaction was very much uh, not threat, but fear. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Just like, no, 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 no. Well, it was, it was (laughs) like, it was like, oh no, you found the skeleton in my closet. How did you know? The skeleton who can't improvise. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But um, this does relate to uh, what I do now, which is I learned how to improvise first in church. And a lot of my experience with trauma comes from religious trauma. And so um, I actually like thank my worship director in high school for teaching me how to improvise. He was like, these are chord charts. This is the letter of the chord name. As long as you do this and stay within this key signature, you're good to go. Go. And just like push me off the ledge and, you know, like, yeah, in front of the congregation. And, you know, so I had several years of experience of improvising in front of an audience of people, not even just like uh, exploring in a bedroom doing Mm -hmm. that. It was just, it was very much deep end learning, you know? Um, uh, And so I was excited to like learn from a professor anticipating that he would be able to build upon those skills. And he just flat out was like, nope. So uh, after getting that response and he, oh, he was like, you would laugh at this. (laughs) He goes, uh, um, go take a lesson from the trumpet professor. In the meantime, let's learn Julio. From, uh, right? Which is is like- not, Not improvising at all. Right. It's, it is, it is meant to sound kind of like an improvisation. I know. Um, and that's, you know, it's like the, it's like the best he could do. It reminds me because, you know, like when you want this one thing and somebody gives you something that is not at all that it just reminds me. So like I was in, I don't know, seventh grade and everybody was getting a Nintendo and I'm like, dad, I really, I just really want a Nintendo. And instead he got me like the complete set of Lynn Harrell bow position masterclasses. <laughs> and I was like, yes. Well, it's kind of like asking for red velvet cake and then they give you banana nut snack muffins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, Mark Summer, like, if you're listening, you are not the snack wells of cellist. Oh, I, I freaking love Julio to death. So this is not against Julio. But yeah, exactly. Um, so, so, so I graduate with a degree in business uh, and I moved to Seattle to do a lot of music business stuff because that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and I'm like zooming through this stuff. Uh, I, after, you know, dipping my toes in various pieces of the music industry, I decided to become a Suzuki teacher. And so I did all the training for that, um, which was so intense. I think it takes of- no prisoners. Suzuki is for real. Oh man. Uh, but I fell in love with it. And during that process of being trained as a Suzuki teacher, I realized how Suzuki I already was. Mm. Um, and I didn't know that. Uh, and now that I do what I do, what is so fascinating to me is that the Suzuki model of education, um, if you are staying as close as possible to Dr. Suzuki's pedagogical method and his philosophy, then you're pretty trauma-informed already. Like you're teaching with a trauma-informed lens already. I feel like Suzuki Um, uh, talks a lot about like you're teaching the person, right? It's not like you're learning the violin. You are teaching a person and it's like you kind of, yeah, it's more holistic. It gets a bad rap from people who um, only see it from the outside, I think. But I think it's a very warm, um, uh, yeah, I think there is like a lot of like informed, emotionally informed teaching in Suzuki method. Well, I mean, we can talk all about it too. I mean, I'm happy to go as deep as you want into it. Um, 
but I do think that it is extremely well done. Uh, and anytime you have um, generations of a thing passed down from teacher to teacher to teacher, it's pretty well vetted, you know? Um, and so anyways, I was honored to have be a Suzuki teacher. I loved it. And then one day I started to notice in my right hand, uh, a tremor and I thought it was too much caffeine. I thought I was just stressed out. Um, I didn't tell anyone about it. And then one day when I did tell the guy I was dating, he was, he, his response was, oh yeah, I mean, your hand shakes all the time. And so he noticed it in other areas of my life that I hadn't noticed it because I was like talking with my hands or something right. like that, you know? Um, and I went to the doctor, got it checked out and it is a neurological degenerative hand tremor called an essential tremor. Um, and most of the time that happens in um, adults over the age of 40. Hmm. At the time I was like 26, 27. Yeah. Um, and so it was really young. I think it was, it could have been, honestly, it could have been a symptom of trauma. It could have been, um, I know that it does get worse with stress and uh, tension. Um, whenever I got a massage, it would go completely away. But of course it would come right back. Yep. Um, and so it was clear to me being a business major that it was not a sustainable choice to put all my eggs in the basket of the cello, um, my financial eggs. That is, that mm -hmm. is. Um, and so I started to lean more on the business consulting um, than I already was at the time. So and then I got really curious about bravery because everyone was saying how brave I was and I did not feel brave <laughs> at all, like one iota. And um, that's when I started my podcast. And so I just started asking people why they thought that, why their people thought they were so brave and uh, that turned into a book. And after I started, uh, after publishing the book, I realized that a lot of my business consulting clients were coming to me for the same things. And the thing that they all had, in, that many of them had in common was that they were survivors of trauma. Mm. And then I looked at myself and was like, oh shit, I am too. <laughs> it, it me, it's really weird. When, Cause you, you yeah. know, a lot of, um, a lot of us are also so busy, like, just like, trying to be better versions of ourselves. And yeah. it's, it's like, you don't look back and consider your background as anything other than like, that is what establishes what is normal. <laughs> so then yeah. it's like, right. So why don't we, because I'm on the precipice of being like, blah, 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 and just saying a whole Please. bunch of stuff. So let's just knock it out of the park. Let's just start off with what is, um, I guess, should we ask what is trauma before we talk about trauma-informed teaching? Yes. I actually wrote that down. because Let's do it. Because Emily was so great. She sent out her questions to me beforehand, which I think is so trauma-informed in and of itself, because many interviewers don't do that. And I don't mind that. I don't mind the improvised conversation, clearly. Uh, but it is really nice to have the prep in advance, which is uh, really good. So I, I like uh, Dr. Robert Macy's definition of trauma, which is trauma is an overwhelming demand placed on the physiology, physiological human experience. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's not an event. It's like if it's just asking too much of yourself, it can happen in a single event. It can also happen over prolonged Time. It can be a circumstance. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, then there's also like different, you can get grammatical with it too. So trauma is both the response in your body and it's also the reaction to being overwhelmed as well. So you have like the post overwhelm trauma, if that makes sense. So like the residual trauma or the long-term effects of it. Um, it's also called. Okay. So actually, um, 
uh, you know, we think about trauma and we either think about people, we think about like a car accident. We imagine a kid get, getting beaten up when he's growing, growing up, you know, beaten by a parent. And then we think about, um, you know, combat veterans, which, which are all, by the way, absolutely trauma, you know, things that will inspire right. and create trauma. But let's talk right. about some of the other um, things that can create these conditions um, that yeah. tax the, the human physiology too much. Like right off the, the bat, I, I think about like growing up in poverty, that's gotta be huge. Absolutely. So there's historical trauma um, from just being in the United States. Right. Uh, there's also generational trauma from your own family tree. So, so yeah. actually um, I just always have to interject because this is something that um, every time I t tell somebody or where I'm talking about trauma. And I say this quote, like it's, I'm sure you've already heard this, but they say pain, pain runs in families until somebody is ready to feel it. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, so, and I honestly feel like and maybe that that's sometimes, a lot of, that's sometimes the reason why so many people that we're dealing with and why, why trauma informed teaching is such a thing is because we are a generation of people who are okay. Talking about being in therapy. We're talking about brokenness and we're like, do you know what it's, this shouldn't have been my load to shoulder, but I have a support system and the reduced stigma to where, you know what? Yeah. I guess I'll be the one to like, make sure that the buck stops with me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what are some uh, other kind of, so uh, I deal, uh, I, you know, from personal experience, uh, I have religious trauma. I also have trauma from being neurodiverse mm. and late late life diagnosis mm -hmm. as a neurodiverse, um, which comes with its own set of trauma from having to uh, think that I belong for the, my entire life or being told that I should belong and be able to do all these things. That's like prolonged exposure to an overwhelming physiological demand on my human system. Cause I could not do those things in those ways. Literally my capacity was not there. Yeah. And then my society, family, education was demanding that I do those things. Um, so there's a lot of trauma from that. Um, there's so much uh, research done with trauma and neurodiversity yes. um, that is really tragic, but it's also really important to, for, especially for people who are interested in trauma-informed teaching to understand that it's, they overlap very, very much so. Uh, other types are um, just high control groups in general. So not just religion, but this could be a really intense boss at work. Mm -hmm. um, so you have a narcissistic boss that is for sure a, could be a recipe for a traumatic experience. Um, you also have domestic violence, uh, from abusive romantic relationships. That's right. I'm um, thinking like bullying, uh, fat phobia, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that, also those stalker situations. Yep. Um, all, I mean, like just the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So right. basically if you've ever had a feeling where your heart goes really fast and you get like really kind of anxious and you don't necessarily know why or um, or you do know why, <laughs> or somebody who you meet and you've never met them before and they remind you of someone else mm -hmm. and it just is kind of off-putting to you for some reason, there might be some trauma there. Okay. Uh, so then, so then how do you, and of course this is an incomplete list, but these are just sort of things mm -hmm. that you can, um, just kind of look out for. And at the end, we'll actually talk about kind of an assessment, which is an incomplete assessment, but it's sort of like, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of like a dipstick to kind of just see what, what your, um, capacity, um, for exposure to this stuff has been. So then how would we define uh, trauma informed teaching? What does that actually mean? Yeah. I mean, well, you're going to be a teacher and you're going to 
be informed about trauma. That's what that means, basically. So what is trauma? How does it affect your students' bodies? Uh, what does it mean to teach with the awareness that trauma could exist in your classroom? Um, how does it show up? Um, I mean, I have a personal, yeah. I have a personal anecdote about how it shows up, but, um, I'd like to hear like, um, your thoughts on how, how, how might trauma show up in a student? Yeah. Um, well, one, one example could be, so let's say we'll go with the neurodiversity thing. Let's say a kid has ADHD and it's undiagnosed and they're constantly being told to sit down be quiet, stop moving, stop fidgeting, don't touch anybody else, keep your hands to yourself, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, all of that messaging is not necessarily trauma-informed. Right. If it just comes at a barrage, you know, and, you know, just over and over and over again. Uh, I'm not saying that someone who is neurodiverse shouldn't be responsible for their own actions. That's a different, different podcast episode. <laughs> but also uh, we're talking about kids here. So like there's, there's exactly. gotta be leeway here. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So a trauma-informed response might be to hand the kid a fistful of slime <laughs> or something that they can do with their hands and just silently give it to them so that they can fidget with the thing in their hand. Also without the attention being drawn to the fact that they're exactly. feeling like they're about to jump out of their skin, right? So exactly. just like, we're cool, you're cool. Can we keep going right. forward? Right, right. And I talk a lot about um, when I'm discussing this stuff with other teachers or other practitioners of anything, really. I talk a lot about the difference between salutogenic and pathogenic Ooh. approaches, which are, that sounds like really fancy words, but it's really not as fancy as it sounds. Uh, salutogenic is approaching your people as if there is nothing wrong with them. Okay. That you are going from a strength-based approach. Okay. So you're saying, look, in a cello lesson, this would be, oh my gosh, your vibrato is rock solid. Let's see if you can take that vibrato and now nail your shift while mm. you're doing that vibrato. Right. Okay. Right. So you're taking a strength and using the strength to build upon their already existing knowledge, right? Rather than saying with a pathogenic approach, uh, nice try, but you missed your shift. Right. right? Okay. So um, that's just one example in a, in a teaching environment of what could play out with uh, trauma-informed stuff. So I'm going to share a little bit of my story here just because um, this is part of, you know, they always say like, when you go to grad school, they're like, research me search, which is fine, actually, as if there's something wrong with wanting to either understand yourself or make the world better. Sorry. <laughs> not also, sorry. <laughs> don't we want experts who have not just four years of experience, but also... 34 years of experience plus or empathy years of empathy yeah, might exactly. be a bonus uh just putting it out there cheers so to that. Yeah. right cheers to that um so I grew up um in an incredibly traumatic environment and I didn't I realized that the bullying at school was traumatic right off the bat and this was like very serious bullying um like uh they would uh you know vandalize our house twice on the weekends, they would follow me, they would grab me, they would exclude me, they would spread rumors. I had a noose left in my locker and instructions on like, here's how to do it. Like, and this was from like kindergarten to 11th grade, basically. So there was that, but what I didn't realize was even bigger is that I actually was afraid for my life in my house. Um, I'm not going to get into the specific details because my parents are both still alive. Um, but I was legitimately afraid for my life. And so even though I like, you know, granted IQ tests are kind of BS, but like I tested, you know, into like gifted programming and things like this. And I was definitely a bookworm and I started struggling in school as soon as we had anything that was like a real a real academic 
subject, unless it was creative. If it was purely creative, write a poem, I would get like, everyone would be like, wow, this is great. But it's like, learn subtraction. Nope. And so I was told um, over and over like, again. Can I, through, can I yeah, interject? Yeah. What are you feeling right now? Um, a sort of, it's strange. Now I feel a sort of like shaky vibrance because it's so exciting to be able to be like, this is what was happening as opposed to like, shit, I really like writing, but I was told I had no aptitude for writing. So it's like, it's, I'm, I'm actually like, like overwhelmed with like, it's a little bit of catharsis, but like, I'm just so excited that there was like a reason for this. And it wasn't just like, yeah, well, you know, you were just kind of a crappy student. And I keep thinking about though, how cool it would have been to have a teacher who was like, I know you're not getting this, but it's not because you're not a good student. But instead it was like, you know, it says you're gifted, but from what I can see here, maybe not. I'm like, thanks, like 1980s teachers. You guys were a disaster. <laughs> well, so I, I asked you that because I know that both you and I, when I was teaching, uh, I was teaching a lot of adult students. Yes. And so many adults have educational trauma. Yeah for reasons that you mentioned, right? Um, and others. And so they would come into a lesson with me and all of that stuff would get brought up. And it's so, and it's like, they're, they're so, their walls are up for good reason, by the way. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. yeah, and so you have to kind of, yeah, you have to sort through all of that to even get down to like, you're a good person, even though we're working on your intonation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that in and of itself is trauma informed because you are saying your response to uh, fearing education is good Yeah, because everything you went through was awful. It is and valid. <laughs> you were doing the best you could. <laughs> you right. did the best you could. And everything, every way that you responded in school during the initial trauma was the response that got you to survive. That's right. This, this got you through somehow. So those are survival instincts. That's and right. so now as a teacher, post that, after that trauma, my job with my students was to help them to uh, learn new ways to learn. It's so healing outside of their survival skills. It's so healing to be the, the teacher that you wish you had had. Yeah. Um, and no, granted, absolutely. I did end up having that teacher. My cello teacher was that person for me. She was my cello mom. She showed me like the archetype of not just like a, a mom, but a teacher. And also just like, here's how an adult comports themselves in the world, taking responsibility and being protective of a kid. So all, so throughout school, um, it's funny, as soon as I felt myself breaking away, when I got really serious about the cello and I started missing school because I was doing stuff with the cello, number one, the bullies stopped bothering me because like I, they had no power over me, even though they would try to do terrible things. It didn't dent me. Cause I'm like, I am so busy with this concerto right now. I have, I literally do not have time for this. And then also I was, I felt myself detaching from my parents and that gave me like this great sense of hope. Um, and then I still struggled in college. And then later I, I had 10 years between undergrad and graduate. And I went to school to study as an interdisciplinary degree, but mostly I, I went there because I wanted to learn a lot about the structures of the brain and at first it was just like, I want to learn about music and the brain. Huh. And then it immediately became uh, obvious though, that like, cause music and emotion are so linked. We started looking at the structures of the brain and trauma because you kind of have to do that. Um, and it, it turns out that people who are, um, who experience long-term trauma. So not like I had a car accident or somebody died and I had, you know, it's, it's where, where you feel like you're in a box for a matter of years. 
the hippocampus of the brain actually shrinks. It becomes smaller. And that is an area that deals with working memory, which is exactly what you need in order to internalize lessons that are being taught. So even if in class, I was like, oh yeah, this makes sense when you subtract the nine and three. Okay. Then you get the six because though that part of my brain was doing this other job, which is like, let's not always think about how scared you are. Let's just kind of, let's go into this other place. And let's also have these other structures of your brain going into super overdrive to compensate. When I got home, I'd be, it would just look like a language I did not understand. By the way, everybody should know that her cat is in the frame right now. It's just adorable and beautiful and wonderful. This is, and this is a cat's Freddie, podcast this from is now Freddie on. Freddie Mercury, the blind cat. Hi, he has an Instagram. He's very cute. Oh, oh, and I love the sniffing. You can just, he's like, yes, mom, I yes. love you. Thank anyway, you. so what's, what, what you, I want people who are listening to take away from this is that there are actual physical structural changes that occur in the brain that make certain things not possible. Not like, oh, you're just not trying hard enough. Literally the part of your brain that is responsible for sorting things into piles as this is important and this isn't, it's focused on keeping you alive. And so the, it's like real cute. You want to learn long division. I'm sorry, but we're, we're thinking about places you can hide when you get scared. So when your when your trauma is activated, when your past trauma is activated, your executive functioning diminishes, and that's your ability to like put things in in linear order. So that's also like uh, time management skills, your ability to decide yes or no to things. So you get mm-hmm. to. I've seen clients become really indecisive uh, when that that trauma gets activated. Um, what else there's like a whole and it's different for every single person so that's the other thing it's different and also sometimes it's permanent sometimes it's not um so because of that fact you just have to take your own situation as its own situation and that's from one individual moment to the next you know um so yeah it's uh, the the effects, the long-term effects of trauma are fascinating to me. Uh, I deal with a lot of it on a like career or business level. So I see a lot of like indecisiveness. I see a lot of um, uh, self-sabotage behavior. Uh, So that's like things like um, they are, because my client's trauma is activated, they are in fight, flight, fawn, freeze, they're right. in that kind of cycle. And because they're in that cycle and their executive functioning is diminished, their decision-making capacity is also diminished sometimes by a lot. And so not to their, any fault of their own, but they're making decisions that are not as good as uh, uh, it could be for their business. And so over a long, you know, one decision like that is not a big deal, but add them all up together. It's like taking a bunch of left turns and you end up taking your business in, into a place where you're like, why is my business not profitable anymore? Well, you made, you made a bunch of decisions to get there. And now we get to decide them all back, you know, like now we get to learn how to get back to a place where you want to be. And let me uh, posit a um, a cello or not cello, a musician specific, um, self-sabotage. Um, I, I, I'm, it's not necessarily something that's rooted in trauma, but it is, this is absolutely a self-sabotage behavior. Um, and that is, uh, playing a piece faster than you can actually play it. Right. And so, um, I know that in my adult students who have had trauma and they have really bought into like, we're going to be patient with ourselves and practice. We're going to, you know, really, really making all the right steps and really relearning how to be a student and the student teacher relationship. And then something about performance is very provocative and the pressure triggers their old habits and they will absolutely hurl themselves into playing a piece because either there's a fear of failure or of something 
And um, so at our, at our last class, um, we had somebody who had made all this progress and then she literally played the thing twice as fast as she had ever played it before. And it was like, it was just like watching a cornered animal, <laughs> just like, <laughs> and she got through it. And at the end, her eyes were kind of wild. Like what just happened to me? And I'm like, yeah, you just, you, it's, it's, it takes a lot of practice to like, to actually be trauma-informed on yourself and be like, I need to give myself the chance to succeed. And that's going to feel different than what I was doing before. Well, what's interesting about a situation like, I have so many things to say. Oh, go, go, go. I'm so excited about this. So what's (laughs) interesting about a scenario like that is she might have been, I don't know who this is. I don't know any background on this person, but being singled out in a group is pretty traumatic in and of itself, or could be traumatic in and of itself. So, uh, doing like pinging things back and forth between groups that could be a more like easy, like a way to ease someone into like a single, cause at some point in a, in a teaching environment, you do need to like, now I need you to play this for the group. It was our you know, final like, performance. Right. So it exactly, was like, it was, exactly. the, it was the culmination. And that was the thing in the other environment, the one that you were suggesting, we would kind of go back right. and forth. Right she was just like really like laying this other foundation and that Uh performance doesn't mean that she's totally regressed. Hopefully it's a data point where she can be like, huh, I guess I'm not quite done cooking through this and making this new way of thinking like part of my playing. Um, but also one of the, it's like a, it's a real life, it's a real life, uh, example of why when we practice an instrument, it's important to practice it uh, fast, slow, loud, soft, different types of texture, different bow holds, the wrong bow hold, the right bow hold, plucking, uh, upside down, put your leg up in the air, put your other leg up in the air. Having you a know, good like, day, having a bad your mouth, day. Smile, right. frown, <laughs> right. cry, like all of the ways, because if you can play the same piece under all of those different circumstances, then when you get on the stage, you're more likely to be able to play that piece um, because you've stretched your capacity for um, adapting within your context. Yeah, and it, and it does take time. And also totally. if, if you're not somebody who has acknowledged that there is, because I think a lot of people are like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not traumatized. I, I mean, everything, I'm, I've been so lucky in my life. And by the way, you can be absolutely lucky in your life, but for whatever reason, you can just get wounded by the thing you got wounded by. It is not, totally. it is like so And it can not- be your own, it can be your own high expectations of yeah, yourself. Right. I had a, uh, I had a, one of my, this is one of my favorite stories from Did teaching. It? Um, I had, I taught in an angel investor. He like randomly called me up and was like, I want lessons at seven in the morning every Wednesday. And I was like, you know, like looking at my clock, like, okay, we, I can wake up by that. You know, like, I don't think my neighbors will mind too much, you know, like, (laughs) um, and it's like the second week of lessons, he had already been playing. He just wanted to like freshen up some skills and, we're playing through a song that he knew. And I knew from being a Suzuki teacher that the song he was playing was like scaffolded to be like zeroed it in on this one shift, like three quarters of the way through, through down to the end of the song. So I knew what was coming and I knew that he knew what was coming because it's a review piece. And he gets to this, gets to the shift, botches the shift, the rest of the song was a total disaster. Yep. But prior to the shift, it was pretty great, you know? But I could tell the closer we got to the shift, his playing got really tense and really, oh, like, here it comes, here it comes. So he finishes and I, uh, and I said, did you, let me ask you this. When you're at work and you've got a really big uh, presentation coming up, um, do you stress about it really like a whole lot? And then the closer you get to 
the presentation, like the more tense you get and the more your like personal relationships get sacrificed and like all of this stuff. And then because you're so stressed and tense and because everyone's already kind of like on edge with you already, you end up botching the presentation and then you're angry with yourself and then for the next month, you're just kind of in a really bad mood. But you're recovering from that. And his eyes were like saucers. <laughs> he was like, how did you know that that happens? He felt so called out. And um, which is probably not trauma informed, to be honest. So I don't, if any teachers are listening, I don't know if I would repeat <laughs> doing that myself. But uh the fact that the way you respond within a piece of music, a single moment in time is the same way you react within your whole life is one extremely good reason why adults should learn music. Yes. Because if you can get better at teaching yourself how to react to those stressful situations, then guess what happens in your life during those presentations? Yeah. And, and also it's just like your, your relationship with the instrument is a parallel to your relationship with yourself and you're cultivating a forgiveness Mm -hmm. and curiosity and yeah. And, and um, yeah, being a lifelong learner, highly recommended. Um, Now you do have to find the right instructors because if you do find people who only teach kids, so I took hockey lessons, right. And it was like, not good. Because first of all, kids are not ashamed or risk averse. Everything is hard. Falling down is not bad. And also they fall so much, right? They're so much closer to the ice. Meanwhile, my 40 year old ass, like I could break something and it's also embarrassing and there's all kinds of things. And so I remember finding somebody who works mostly with adults and it was like this beautiful experience of just like, yeah, we'll just wait until you, till you can do that. And uh, if you fall down, it's fine. Here's how you can fall down without, um, taking somebody else down with you without hurting your knee. And here's how you get back up. Uh (laughs) That's what adults need. Right. Exactly. And and it's, well, and I always describe the difference between teaching a child cello and teaching an adult cello that the kid has no like almost like little to no experience of listening to music. That's right. Right. And so even if you say like Minuet in G, we're going to play a song called Minuet in G. This kid's like, okay, cool. I've never heard this song before in my life. So they don't know how it's supposed to sound. They don't know the melody. They don't know like anything. Whereas if you say, let's play Minuet in G to an adult, they've already heard it before. Like my sister played that in piano. Like everybody exactly. knows that and one. Depending on their age, they may have 60 years of experience right. listening to that song. So they have 60 years of experience building their expectations. And that's so much higher than their ability. Right. And because of that difference between expectation and ability, um, sometimes that can be feel really tragic to them yeah it, so it just feels like a really shortcoming oh right yeah. and, and also Oof. adults are only rewarded i mean twitter that's part of the reason why i'm not on it anymore that much is because twitter you are rewarded for your expertise if you're an expert at something and god help you if you ask a question i had a macarthur fellow send her quarter of a million followers after me for simply asking like a benign question. And she, she wrote, this is not for you. This is not a question for you, by the way. This, and it was about like literary criticism. It was, it was like, and, and then she retweeted me saying, oh, I, I just was asking and they came for me. And it's so funny because that is sometimes how it feels though, being an adult and not having expertise in something. You just, you come for yourself because you know what the piece should sound like. And it's like, that was a tire fire. We're not accept, we're not very good at accepting the middle stages of stuff as, a, as grownups anyway. Yeah. Um, so then how does, how does this look for either 
um, you know, teachers, instructional designers, or or like bosses, or even as a coworker, what is it? What does it actually look like to? I guess there's two sides of this. Even what if you're a person who's holding trauma? What is it like? Is there are there things that you can do to kind of inform and kind of install? a sense of safety and clarity in your space, because you can't expect people to know. Yeah, I, my, uh, first of all, I think that you can absolutely react to trauma by disassociating from it while you learn about it. Mm. You so, don't have to be, be in it. Well, yeah, you don't have to be... I'll say that I've encountered a lot of people who go, aha, I have trauma. And then they just dive into trying to learn anything and everything about it, which is fine. That's like a way that we learn about ourselves, but it's also a way that we can disassociate from our trauma. Mm. So you have to kind of be a little bit careful about like, am I disassociating from myself (laughs) (laughs) by trying to like get up in my head or um, am I is this actually benefiting me? Um, so my best advice is to learn your own patterns mm. because we have our own uh, default reactions to be having our trauma activated. Um, and that's within a certain context. So like you may react to your trauma when it's activated in an educational situation, you may go low and shut down and just listen and get really quiet because of whatever. Uh, or if you're in a romantic, you know, marriage relationship, partnership situation and your trauma gets activated, you may go high and get really aggressive and go fight um, and, you know, want to yell and talk it out and hash it out, that kind of thing. So uh, neither of those reactions are wrong again, but understanding what your tendencies are can be really helpful for both you and also the people around you. Um, Because say for instance, if I'm in a partnership with somebody and they know that my reaction is to get loud when my trauma is activated, Mm -hmm. if they recognize that I've gotten loud or like gotten real like, hey, oh, fight, you know, fight to the death, then they can go, Hey, how's your trauma? Or are you activated? Or do you, let's take a break. You know, um, let's talk about this later. I'm happy to talk about this later. Yeah. Sometimes just taking that break can be really nice. Uh, again, if you know, if someone has told you they tend to, uh, disassociate or shut down when they're learning, um, or you notice that they're shutting down when they're learning, sometimes just taking a break and distracting or going to a different subject can be a really great thing. It, it, um, you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to dive into the reasons. You don't have to hash it out. You can just move on. And that's not your job. You know, you're not a therapist. You're not a, you know, that's, that's their job to bring up with their therapist. Um, but it is, if you are trauma informed, you get to notice, oh, their reaction might looks a little bit (laughs) trauma-esque and you get to be uh help yeah facilitate their reaction you know also I'm sorry if everybody's hearing the beep I don't know if you can hear it on my end apparently one of our smoke detectors is singing the song of its people um so um uh if if for some reason it does show up in the recording though um, I'm going to give a, um, hold on, there's going to be a giveaway. I'm going to give you a, um, an autograph copy of strings. If you can tell me what note the, uh, the alarm is going off that first one to, to hit my inbox with that. So just, just trying to make it something positive because honestly, I'm going out of my mind hearing it <laughs> every now and again. Um, so here's something that I'm thinking, um, yeah. that, 
Um, I remember when we were, because uh, I, I went to school in the School of Education, and we learned a lot about accommodating, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, accommodating people with trauma has a lot in common with accommodating people with, you know, learning differences and, you know, different backgrounds and all kinds of different mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And I'm almost thinking that, is it, is it possible that even if there was a room full of people with no trauma, teaching from that, from, from that point of view could not only benefit them more, but also it makes sure that you are not being traumatizing yourself, that you are not, right? So it seems like something that it should just be a way of proceeding because trauma-informed means more like human-informed. You just have your feelers out. Yep. You're just being empathetic. That's it. You're just, you're just going, Hey, I recognize that you might have different capabilities than me. You might have different experiences than me. You might have different skills than I do. And so I'm coming to table knowing that nothing is wrong with you. Yeah. Nothing is wrong with you. And I might have something to teach you. You might have something to teach me. Here we go. Um, so before we, we close out, um, is there anything else that are just sort of like real practical sort of things that people who are not necessarily in a teaching position? Cause at first we talked about trauma informed teaching, but in terms of just being, you know, a boss or a, a coworker, um, I think step one is empathy and just noticing people's reactions has got to be the biggest step one. Mm -hmm. Um, even if we're, if we're repeating what we've gone over, I think it's important enough. What would be the step two once you're just noticing different people's reaction to different stressors or stimuli or manners of speaking? For, for them to respond for themselves? Oh, no, the no like just for like their, you know, coworkers, or let's just say I'm mm -hmm. somebody's boss and I'm recognizing that this person absolutely uh, gets destroyed even when I'm I'm offering the the a slight little bit of feedback. That's something that is like right. I'm I have a very hard time receiving feedback, even if by the way I want it. But for like a couple days, I have to like sit with it and realize that the person hasn't come for me. They're actually just trying to help me. Like I'm not fired. Right. Right. <laughs> um, right. So, um, so yeah, I'm just, if you're using that as an example, what, what do I do if, if I know? Yeah. Like if, so let's say for instance, you, you are the boss of someone who, you know, freaks out about like that kind of situation, yeah. uh, beginning an email or a text with you're not in trouble. <laughs> right yeah because who you see me I, you are know, you free or like, come to my office <gasps> like oh. for the rest of the day you think you're fired right like nobody likes exactly it. exactly so a lot of times it's like framing things in context for for someone else um I, I know it's really easy to send an email that just says come to my office at four uh but for the benefit of them and you it actually benefits the meeting a lot when you can say, I'd like to speak to you about these three things at four o'clock. Mm -hmm. If it's three items that they know they've totally got it and they've nailed it, then they are not going to get worried. If they are three items that they know they might need to prepare to talk about or like gather some feedback or something, then guess what? You've just given them some advance notice to like hustle and find the answers or something like that. Um, so if you have an overly anxious person in your, or not, not overly, that's a wrong term, but if you have someone who tends to err on the side of anxious uh, as an employee, then that's a really good way, way to go about it. Just kind of frame things in context. Um, just be communicative, right? Like it's, it's, this exactly. is total just emotional intelligence 101. Exactly. And also just asking, Hey, uh, I noticed last time when I said X, you reacted in Y way. I can't imagine that being pleasant. So I would like to know what would be a better way for you to receive that kind of information in the future. Yeah. 
And then you're asking them how they want to be communicated to, um, which as a manager, quite honestly, that is your job to support yeah. your employees. So, yeah, the, um, and same thing as a teacher too. Like if you, yeah. if a student says like, I don't, I don't understand this, or they react in a way that you kind of guess is like not ideal. Uh, you can, as a teacher go, what would be better for you? Would you rather do this or do this? Would you rather do 10 repetitions of shifting or would you rather do uh, a game with shifts? Then yeah. they get to choose. That know? is actually something I always like to put the ball in the student's court. And if you're a teacher mm-hmm. of adults, but even if you're a teacher of kids, it's actually kind of, it goes into another part of their brain. I will sometimes ask them at the beginning of a lesson, what would be the most meaningful thing for you to end up like today? What would feel good? And also if you're having a terrible day, you can just say, I'm having the worst day and I am not up for being picked apart for like my super weaknesses. So that's sometimes where you can get into teaching something that's new and simple polishing something that's older and this is music has an absolute like one-to-one correlation with what we do in the rest of our lives in terms of interpersonal stuff but also jobs are mostly learning and then performing it is the same kind of task so um yeah i love what you're saying about managers because what managers should be doing is finding out where their people shine and then letting them shine, letting them exactly. do that. It's allowing exactly. somebody to do this. Um, now, if you're if you're in the wrong gig, that is stressful in itself, and that's hard to push yourself in and out of shape. And you know, sometimes you just have to do the best you can. But I think this is all. Um, it does boil down, I think, a lot to just being empathetic and having emotional intelligence, watching how people react to you, and watching how you react. Well, and a lot of trauma comes from the feeling of being trapped. Mm-hmm. So when you are someone who is around someone with a history of trauma, when you give them the option of choice, yeah, that automatically lets the steam out of the feeling of being trapped because they get to choose. Yeah. They get to choose. Do they want to walk or crawl out of the room? Do they want to, you know, like, and, and um, do they want the email? Do they want the face-to-face conversation? Do they want to play the shifts, shift game or do they want to just do straight repetitions? And that choice in and of itself can be extremely empowering for someone who has trauma to just go, you got choice in this situation. You're not helpless. And it's a healing interaction because you're seeing that somebody who's technically in charge, the teacher's in charge of the lesson, is actually interested in what you want and the, the, so I think that there's just a lot of opportunity for healing, not just being this, this should not, hopefully at the end of this, you should not think this is a lesson in how to be on eggshells around people who've had difficult things. This is more like yeah. how to kind of make everything a little bit groovier, easier, and just more more pleasant and effective for just about everybody else. So at first trauma-informed teaching sounds like a TED talk and a buzzword, but what it really is, is a set of really low key practices that you can easily retrofit into whatever you're doing. And it's also useful for you to handle yourself, right? When you're having hard, hard experiences or reactions that seem involuntary, this is a great way to navigate your own hard stuff. Absolutely. And there's, uh, I, I know that you, you asked at one point, might've been before we started recording, you asked about like research stuff. Yeah. Um, there is so much research, which is what, one of the reasons why it's such a buzzword mm-hmm. um, lately is like within the last 20 years like if you look at like the frequency of trauma showing up in the research yeah it's the hockey stick it's it's like exponentially so much trauma but when you look at what like the cdc reports that the financial impact of trauma every year has 4.3 trillion dollars of an impact on the u.s it just us. 
just us trillion dollars and that's like you know medical bills that's like loss of quality of life that's lowered um economic um income capacity it's, it's all of that but it's tr trillion trillion dollars i can't even i don't even know how many zeros that is like one of those things where they're like how can you conceptualize a trillion dollars? Imagine all the grains of sand and then multiply them by Pluto. It's, a, it's an amount that we are not able to even conceive of just how, how massive. And, and don't sleep on the idea also of how traumatic it is growing up in the United States where there is no safety net. No one will catch you. So it's like GoFundMe is, is what most of us will rely on if there's a medical bill or a diagnosis that we can't handle almost well, and, <laughs> and uh, this is like back in the i forget when the kaiser permanente aces original aces study was aces stands for uh adverse childhood experiences mm -hmm. and so they did this study to kind of go hmm i wonder if adverse childhood experiences has an effect on someone's risk for things like heart disease and cancer and, and alcoholism so, and yes yeah and so kaiser permanente is this health insurance company and they have like a financial stake thanks capitalism Yay. in wanting to know how much money should they invest in preventing trauma you know resolving it that kind of stuff right and so that's how it got uh, you know that's how this aces study got uh popularized and so you just search aces trauma a whole bunch of cool stuff will come up but the cdc has a really great collection of information on the aces study including um all the questions so you can take the aces survey yourself and find out how many aces quote unquote you have um yeah, aces, i think it's only... aces too high is the is a really good one to search because i think that's the one done by the by the researcher herself yeah. Yeah. And so they are, it's only childhood experiences. So if you're, if you might have had trauma from like a romantic relationship or a car accident or war or something else like that, then this ACEs study won't necessarily uh, include you and your mm -hmm. traumatic experiences. However, it does still reflect the fact that trauma increases your likelihood for cancer or heart disease, diabetes, uh, you are more likely to have substance abuse issues, you're more likely to have PTSD, anxiety, depression, uh, you're more likely to be susceptible to uh, bone fractures and to burns. Huh. And that's related to your um, diminished executive functioning capacity. Right, you, you're not paying as much attention exactly. to because your body is, is a dangerous place yeah. to be. So you're not in it. Yeah, so you may be a little yeah. klutzy. And so you may just find yourself going to the ER a little bit more than the average person because you burn yourself taking the brownies out of the oven. You know, oops. Um, but yeah. Kaiser Permanente wanted to know that because it all adds up for them. Right, um, that, that's actually how you know, <laughs> like when, when big pharma, when like the, these big research conglomerates funded exactly. by dark money want to know, like that's how yeah. you know it's um, epidemic stage. Mm -hmm. And I've heard at one point in one of the trainings I took uh, that one year there was, in one year recently, like I think it was recently, they had 41,000 new studies on trauma were published in the, in a single year. And so that just tells you that there's a lot of funding available for trauma. There's a lot of economic uh, impact for trauma and there's a lot of uh, personal, physical results and long-term effects of trauma. So we all are impacted by it, whether you think you experience trauma or not. You're, living with someone, you know, someone who had it, you, uh, your life is affected by it in some way or somehow you're paying taxes for someone else's trauma in, you know, in some form or some way. You Absolutely. Know? Um, yep. so yeah. So, yeah. um, at the end of the day, um, some, some concrete information, if you want to take, um, trauma informed 
cello lessons. I absolutely love this. If you are not a cellist, I have a network of really smart, empathetic, interested people who teach all different students of all different ages and capacities. So actually legitimately hit me up, just emilywrightcello at gmail.com. We will find somebody for you. And then um, Emily, why don't you give your website, your book, your kind of all let's, if we want to interact with all this stuff and she's going to be an excellent resource for all the stuff we've talked about. So from the studies to, to all of it. So what's the website and how do we, um, if if you go to schoolofbravery.com, that's my site and you can email me anything you want. Uh, that is not, uh, well, most anything you want, we'll just say that, uh, <laughs> at hi at schoolofbravery.com. And I have a resources section on the School of Bravery that is full of like, just links upon links upon links of all sorts of information. If you wanna dive into, if you really wanna nerd out on religious trauma, I have got scholarly articles out the wazoo on religious <laughs> trauma and how that interacts with capitalism. And I have, articles on anti-racism and trauma and all sorts of kind of stuff. So, uh, all that stuff is freely available. So you can go check that out there. And actually, I think I should mention the, um, maintenance phase podcast. Um, they are phenomenal methodology driven people, and they talk a lot about, um, the trauma that is uh, inflicted on, it's mostly Americans, but on, um, fat and obese Americans, but also where that kind of the crossroads of race and um, economic, um, like socioeconomic um, levels. Um, it has been uh, extremely informative because I have always lived in this body. So I've been able to pass as somebody without having any of that pushed on me or so I thought. (laughs) And so just learning about all of these different ways that we uh, accidentally hurt each other by participating in the prevailing culture has been just eye-opening. So I think um, you guys all have a pretty big assignment at the end of this episode. Let's just inform ourselves about this, be gentle with ourselves and each other. I thank you so much for having me out. I love nerding out about all this stuff. I'm happy to chat for days about it. Absolutely. Perhaps we shall chat again. Thank you yeah. so much. You're so welcome. So that's our episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or requests, uh, you can go ahead and email me, contact at emilywright.net. Uh, You can always visit the blog, uh, emilywright.net, and there's a contact form there. And then you can find me on Twitter, Emily Cello, and Instagram is Emily Wright Cello. Thank you so much. See you next time.